Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Coming up on this episode of Constructive Voices, we're finding out more about mixed reality. It's the future for the construction industry and it's happening now. So what does it mean for you? Pete the Builder and I are going to have a man-to-man conversation about the importance of sharing your feelings and not letting work get to you. And Henry MacDonald has been chatting to the MD of the multifaceted Hythe Group about their many projects and how they've embraced apprenticeships to develop their workforce. Constructive Voices, brought to you by Lewis Access, British-made scaffold towers and access products. Hi, I'm Steve Randall. Welcome to the first episode for May. Can't believe we're into another month already. And once again, a huge thank you for your kind words about the show and for sharing it on social media. We really appreciate it. If I can be cheeky and ask for one more thing, if you have time to give us a review, that would be fantastic. Now, what does the future look like? Well, we're still waiting for flying cars and time travel. In fact, half the time, we'd just be happy with reliable broadband. But for the construction industry and life in general, the tech experts are certain that mixed reality is set to play a major role. Matt Banks has been finding out more from a man with the deepest voice we've had on the podcast so far. I'm Jordan Mauver. I I run the mixed reality business um, at Trimble Inc. Trimble is a technology company based here in the United States. Um, but with a global presence, um, really looking uh, to digitally transform a number of heavy industries. We've been doing it for uh, north of 40 years now um, in industries like construction and oil and gas and surveying and agriculture, bringing kind of the latest and greatest technology coming from the tech industry and, and applying it to these industries. In my role at Trimble, I oversee a, a business segment that is focused on augmented, mixed, and virtual reality technology um, for heavy industry. I've been with the company for uh, just over seven years now. And before that, I, I came to Trimble directly out of university. I went to Ohio State um, and have an engineering background. So you you said your, your expertise is in driving the adoption of augmented, mixed and virtual reality technologies. And I'd just like you to go into a bit of detail as to what those are, what the differences are between those and and what their uses are within the construction industry. Um, That's a big question. You know, I'll start with maybe virtual reality. Um, I think that that's the one that most will have been exposed to. It's, It's the oldest of the three. You know, virtual reality is a fully immersive 3D technology. Um, You put on a set of goggles, something like an Oculus Rift or an HTC Vive, and you are transported into another universe. Um, You kind of are sitting in your desk chair and you leave your office and you are now in an architectural building that you're modeling or a video game setting fighting zombies. Moving to augmented reality, as the name implies, it is an augmentation of your current physical reality. So a great example of this is, uh, you know, when Pokemon Go took the world by storm a few years ago, um, simply by showing the user kind of a a camera feed through their phone um, and then overlaying a Pikachu on the ground in front of them. It's some window into another world. So whether that is through a phone or wearing a device like a Google Glass, a Terminator-like uh, overlay of information onto your environment to, to provide you more information about that environment. And then the third being mixed reality is kind of an advanced form 
of the augmented reality where the goal of mixed reality devices, and most of them are head-mounted goggle-like displays, but the goal of mixed reality devices is to really merge the two realities together. So it's still taking that same three-dimensional content, but it's overlaying it in a way in the world that actually makes it feel like it's a part of your world. So rather than looking through a phone screen, for instance, to see the Pikachu, you would be wearing a pair of glasses that just make it look as if the Pikachu is right in front of you, you know, to use a consumer example. Obviously, we're talking about construction, but, you know, it's, it's an explanation for it. And, you know, the way that these mixed reality devices do this is, you know, they're much more advanced in their capabilities um, in understanding their environment. So there are many different sensors on the front of a mixed reality device from cameras to depth sensors to eye trackers, etc., that are essentially trying to understand the structure and the makeup of the physical environment around the user in the same way that the user knows those things and is thus able to place content into it as if it were actually there. So for instance, I could have a holographic coffee mug and I could actually place it onto my physical desk. The device knows that my physical desk is there and thus it won't let me you know, push the coffee mug through it. It will actually clash the two together and place the digital coffee mug on top of the desk. And so you really start to get this real sense of the merging of two environments. Um, and, you know, similar to augmented reality, the, the benefits of starting to leverage this 3D information, in some cases, even 2D information overlaid in your environment while maintaining full hands-free you know, ability to to do work. Mm. And could you go into a bit of detail as to how these are used on site? Absolutely. So, so if we look at construction, there's not a whole lot of use of virtual reality on site. You know, simply for the safety hazards of of having a guy running around blind. <laughs> um, with that said, VR is and historically has been used heavily in the construction industry, especially in the design process by the architects in the office you know, looking to get a more immersive feel of what it is that they're designing for their clients and, and as well to put their clients into it and, and, you know, reduce that communication barrier of what it is that they're actually building or designing for them. Uh, you know, if you're using augmented reality on, on like an iPad or if you're using something like mixed reality on, on a device like like a HoloLens, um, you still have the context of the environment. So, so you can still be safe and you can still do your work, but with the added value of, of getting content. So, you know, when we talk about use cases, there's, there's many, um, but they mostly come back to a couple key themes. As you know, uh, a lot of uh, enterprise construction, you know, is driven by BIM, by modeling today. And so what AR and MR are providing to, to construction companies is kind of a democratization of that model. Historically, you have a BIM model that maybe only your project supervisors and project engineers and architects really are privy to um, or, or can really read um, that gets flattened to a set of 2D paper documents um, when it's sent to site as instructions for, for people to, you know, the subcontractors and whatnot to actually go and build things. Um, and so when we think about AR and MR, 
they're democratizing 3D. So we're moving away from the 2D paper plan and we're giving those same subcontractors and general contractors on a site the ability to don a pair of goggles or look through an iPad and see the design as it's intended to be overlaid on the environment. So whether that's early in the construction to just you know get a real quick peek and a visual of, hey, what is it? that we're supposed to be building today. Can I get a little bit of context as to you know what this looks like in 3D versus on, on a piece of paper? Using it actually while you're doing the, the both fabrication and prefabrication to guide the assembly and actually show you step-by-step step what it is you're building as you build it and whether or not you're doing it correctly. And then kind of as you get into the post, you know, the checking stage of doing install verifications, QAQC, clash detection, um, being able to kind of do this comparison between digital and physical. And in this case, what you're comparing is an as-built to a design um, similar to, to what you would be doing with, with a laser scanner, if you had a laser scanner on site, but kind of more in real time because um, you're actually walking around in the built conditions, but overlaying the design. And at that point, it starts to become pretty clear when clashes have, have arisen um, or things were installed in the incorrect uh, spot. So ultimately, you know, driving towards a more, uh, you know, democratized 3D model, uh, a better collaboration platform where everyone understands and is working on the same page and out of the same playbook as to what it is they're supposed to be building. And ultimately looking to, you know, kind of reduce the inefficiencies that, that exist every day in the construction industry around, you know, over time, over budget, mostly caused by, by rework. And do you believe that it does improve productivity? And could you give some examples of that? I don't believe it. I know it. Um, you know, I've seen examples of it all across a number of different industries. One very easy example is the remote assistant capabilities of a device like a HoloLens. Um, imagine you have guys out on a construction site or on an oil rig um, and they're stuck on something like not physically stuck, but they're, they're doing something and, and they're stuck. They need some help. What would those guys do today? They would probably call a manager or a foreman and, and have them drive to site or in some cases fly to another city to, to help them out of their pickle. They probably try to make a phone call first and walk it through over the phone or pull up an instruction guide um, you know, maybe some of them are trying to do FaceTime and show a video of what it, whatever it is they're looking at at the same time as they're trying to turn wrenches. You know, this is one of the use cases for, for HoloLens that has grabbed hold very quickly in some of these heavy industries is the ability to have every operator on site have, you know, a one-click phone a friend button to an expert, regardless of where they are in the world. And allow that expert to see through their eyes, through the, the goggle lens, what it is they're working on and actually annotate over it. So be able to talk to them, of course, but actually annotate over the environment. So if there's a specific button they need to push, they can actually draw a circle around it in augmented reality and say, hey, this is the button that you need to push or this is the wire that you need to connect or, or the nut that you need to turn. And while the operator is receiving that information, they're hands-free. They're getting this entirely through a heads-up display. And so they're able to continue working 
they call it heads up, hands free remote assistance. Um, you know, being able to pull in an instructional guide and having it digitally floating beside you rather than you know having to hold it in your hands at the same time as as uh, as building. You know, if you think about the the cost savings alone that come into something like that. You're a general contractor and you've got four different projects going on across the state and you've got uh, one supervisor that's that's an expert in, in a specific topic and you know you're held up on something while he drives across the state from one project to another to, to help walk you through a task just to maintain the continuity of work very quickly um, that in and of itself is, is a huge um, a huge ROI generating use case um, for, for the HoloLens. And in most cases, that functionality that I just described is something that's actually built in to other apps. Like it's not even a standalone app, it's built into other apps. It's a feature rather than an application by itself. So when we look at something like construction, um, which is you know where I play most of the time, um, you know I talked a little bit before about these use cases around on-site um, clash detection and install verification and kind of this comparison of the digital model to the physical as-built. Whether it's before install, during install, after install, it really doesn't matter. Um, what a technology like a, like the HoloLens enables workers to do is really find problems before they ever would have before. The fact of the matter is, is you know, no matter how good technology gets, there will always be issues that arise on a construction problem. As long as there's humans out there and not you know completely building based on robots, there will be issues on a construction site. Having a, a technology like this really just gives you kind of a window into into the design world um, to make inference off of and, and to find these issues. And, and an example of this, uh, a real world example that comes to mind, um, we were working with a customer here in the States. They were working, I think it was a four-story office park building. Uh, the steel was up and coming in very soon were uh, was the mechanical contractor coming in to, to put the HVAC, the, the duct work in. And in this case, they were actually prefabricating all of the ductwork offsite in a different state. And so they had, you know, fed the model to the prefabricator. They were prefabricating everything offsite kind of with this expectation that, you know, if everyone before them was building off of the model, these components would show up and they would fit and they would save a bunch of time and, and everything would, would be great. This general contractor, um, around the time they're making this transition from steel to HVAC, they went on site um, into the as-built uh, of the, the steel, and they overlaid the model for the HVAC just to do kind of this physical digital clash detection, make sure everything was going to fit. And in about 10 minutes, they found three different spots where the design for uh, the mechanical systems was going to clash with the steel. And so what it turned out to be was that, you know, in installing the structure, um, the erectors had you know made some very minor changes, um, you know, probably pretty normal changes and, and things that were completely justified. But in doing so, they had put components, in this case, they were kickers on, on floor joists um, that were going to clash with exactly where the HVAC was going to run. And so meanwhile, all this HVAC is getting prefabricated and it's going to ship in large pieces and it's going to show up and the mechanical subcontractor is going to have guys on site holding all these materials that don't fit and they're not going to know what to do. 
And so they're either going to have to get them remade or they're going to hack it to fit, which is just going to snowball into the plumber and the electrician and the fire sprinkler guy and everyone that comes behind them. Um, But in the case uh, that I witnessed, the general contractor found that issue in mixed reality before those parts arrived. And he took photos directly in the device. He uh, created markups um, and created work orders directly in the device. And he sent them through Trimble Connect, which is our, our construction collaboration platform, um, to the prefabricator. And he said, hey, um, you know, in this specific spot in the model, uh, we need to make some some changes. They didn't miss a beat. They built them in on the prefab line and the components that showed up fit. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you don't, you don't see things like that unless you're actually looking for them. And what I mean by that is, you know, disaster averted and and no one gets credit for that because the disaster got averted, but it would have been very, very costly had it actually happened. And and without the HoloLens, it would have, you know, being able to update that design and, and kind of send it back to this kind of collaborative design made, made a difference, not only for that mechanical contractor and his prefabricator and being able to, you know, make sure they got it right the first time, but it also sent a notification to all the other subs coming after them that, hey, you know, a change was made before you in the process. You know, it might clash with your plumbing or electrical or other systems. Make sure that you go in and make your changes as well. You, you spoke about, obviously, the, the uses of, of these technologies currently and, and what they do uh, on site and for businesses generally. Um, but I wanted to sort of know what your thoughts on on how this technology is going to be further integrated into the construction industry in the future and sort of what the future generally is for mixed reality. Yeah, I, you know, I think most of what we have seen in kind of these earlier days of mixed reality um, really across many industries is really focused on visual visualization of data which is all well and good. And there's a ton of value in that visualization of data. Um, But at the end of the day, any workflow that that is based around the visualization of data to some extent still relies on the human to infer what it is they're seeing. You know, in, in the example I just used, it still required there to be a project manager who saw it. And so one of the things that I'm starting to see across the industry is more computer-assisted inference. What if the cameras on the device could actually be used to recognize uh, those issues and actually alert uh, the user without him actually having to have seen it himself? Um, you know, what if the same cameras could recognize that there's someone on site without a hard hat on or without a safety vest and notify them or notify their supervisor? Or what if the same device as you're walking around could recognize that you're in an avoidance zone, potentially in a hazardous environment, and you you could get hit by a machine or fall down an elevator shaft? All of these examples can be happening simultaneously. Um, You have some really smart compute in these devices that can work passively in the background and start to become just kind of this, uh, you know, this guide dog (laughs) that's on your head and and can have eyes on the back of your head and enable you to do your work better and be safer on site, um, really without you proactively having to do a whole lot. You know, I think the other side of that is this idea of actual 
uh, fabric, I mean, in the case of construction fabrication, but actual real work while wearing the device. Um, so whereas today it's more of a, you know, a check tool or a, hey, I need to make a phone call tool, um, moving into an environment where you're actually wearing the device while you're doing a task. A couple construction examples, you know, within our application, we have the ability to do prefabrication while wearing the device. So imagine assembling a, a very complex design rebar cage on a prefabrication line and having a device like the HoloLens actually step you through step by step, but also in the correct location. Okay, put this stirrup here, put this stirrup here, put this piece of rebar here, tie this piece to this piece. And, you know, leaving no room for, you know, user interpretation as to does this piece go on first or does this piece go on? Does this go here? Does it go here? But actually guiding you know, essentially a 3D IKEA manual overlaid onto your environment um, and, and guiding the user through that task. So you start to see these kind of two different silos of kind of proactive work and or, or active active work and passive work, where the device is enabling you to do your job better through proactively giving you instructions or showing you data over your environment, but it's also passively working in the background to understand your environment and, you know, read your blood pressure, what, you know, whatever, and, and be able to, you know, to help you out in those ways as well. In the same way as the Apple watch just kind of showed up in our lives. And now all of a sudden that's where we check our text messages, but also rely on it to tell us if we're having a heart attack. Um, you know, the, the head mounted display, you know, in some kind of form factor in both consumer life and in enterprise work life, um, it's where it's going. Do you envisage every construction worker to be to be wearing the hard hat of the future, for instance? I, I think it's going to be entirely robotic dogs wearing hollow. <laughs> <Fantastic. laughs> no, I think, um, you know, when I think about it from the respect of mixed reality, you know, if we look that many years out into the future, that's almost like saying today, what does the construction side of the future look like with if everyone had an iPhone? <laughs> it's like yeah. it's almost it, it almost seems silly to say right but that's how ubiquitous this technology will be 10 to 15 years from now i don't know if we're going to start getting to sci-fi levels of augmented reality in a contact lens by then um but i think it's it's pretty reasonable to suspect that you know whether everyone's wearing it all day or not um everyone's going to have access to some kind of head mounted you know computer uh, that can keep them safe and, and help them do their work. You know, the, the job side of the future, there, there are absolutely robots walking around. <laughs> I, I don't think they're fully replacing us at all. But yeah, I, I think that it's just, it will be something that is just so normal um, and just so expected in the same way as having a smartphone in your pocket is just so expected today. You know, so the challenges for technology companies like Trimble over the coming years and in, in getting to kind of the holy grail vision is is of course you know taking the hardware to a point where it's smaller lighter better battery life larger field of view all of the the natural things that you would expect from from a, a technology like this but on the software side it's it's all about collaboration and, and building bridges trimble within our ecosystem or trimble out to autodesk and procore and bentley and we have this massive ocean full of data uh, about our construction site. And today it's quite uh, disparate across 
all the stakeholders of that project, subcontractors, general contractors, architects, et cetera. And it's very disparate across many, many different applications, whether that's SketchUp or Tecla or Navisworks or Revit or whatever the case may be. And if you can properly tie all of that information together into you know, what Trimble refers to as a constructible model, this digital twin of what it is that you're supposed to be building, from that point, you have your instruction manual, right? You have your playbook for what it is you're supposed to do on site. And at that point, all you got to do is connect that into a pair of goggles for every, you know, customized to every individual user and say, Hey, John, today I need you to go to this very specific spot and install these components and I'm going to help you do it. And if you get stuck, here's the number to call your supervisor. And it's just going to become a lot more straightforward. Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people. On every episode of Constructive Voices, Peter Finn joins me for a chat. He's known to millions as Pete the Builder on Irish TV. He's director of Finn and Flynn Construction. Pete, how are you doing? Hey, Steve, how are you, man? Yeah, good, thank you. Ah, we've just done something that we all do. We we did that whole thing. I asked you how you are. You said, yeah, I'm great. And, and, And then you asked me and I said, I'm great. And that was it. And we kind of move on. But actually, we shouldn't just move on from those are you okay things. You know, we should... Ask again, perhaps, or dig a bit deeper, particularly if we're picking up signs that people maybe aren't quite themselves. I think you've actually brought that subject up very well there because that's exactly what happens on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's, it's how are you? And, you know, sometimes people kind of go, oh, God, I asked that person the other day, how are they? And sure, they spent five minutes telling me how they were. You know, I didn't really want to hear that. You know, like that's grand if you're just going down to the shops and it's, you know, somebody that you don't really know or whatever. But I think... In everyday life, I think mental health is such a big issue now, Steve. And I think in construction in particular, um, it really has become a subject that we're all much more aware of now. And I'm, again, so happy that this is happening because life in general has become so busy and there's pressures in our lives now that weren't there you know, years ago. And I think the more we can talk about stuff now and the easier it is to offload our problems the better we are. I think we're all, I suppose, more aware of our mental health as well. Like years ago, you know, if you if you said, you know, you weren't feeling the best, it was really about health as in, you know, you had a sore toe or you'd, you know, something like that. But now if you say to someone, how are you feeling? You're actually asking them, like, you know, it's more really about their mental health than anything, you know? So I think it's a new way, I, I suppose, of people thinking about life. And I think it's a good thing uh, to be happening now and I think it's 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 something that we all need to be very aware of in construction in particular because I suppose in construction we all have deadlines we've all got you know financial challenges happening all the time and all of those things sometimes can build up and sometimes can um, be exaggerated or if you think about them all the time you literally wouldn't get any sleep at night so I think having the right approach to life in general and having the right approach to our own mental health is a is a really poignant um, subject at the moment. So I'm delighted that we get the opportunity to talk about it and, and, and to approach the subject, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think the fact that we're two guys talking about it, that shouldn't be a thing, but it is a thing because we're sort of playing catch up a little bit. You know, women are very, very good at talking, particularly to other women, about their feelings. In fact, they're very good at talking with men about their feelings, but, you know, often it's their partners and their partners don't really know how to deal with that. So it doesn't work out well. But but guys, and particularly, you know, guys who are doing physical jobs, you know, they're on a construction site, you know, maybe don't feel that they can have those conversations. But particularly when we put things in 
in the frame of the last year, the pandemic and all the stuff that that's brought up. Now's the time to be just opening up and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not feeling it at the moment. We need to respond to those conversations and, and engage in those conversations. Yeah, 100%. Like, these don't need to be uh, sensitive subjects, really. You know, I think we I think we should just literally approach them for what they are. And, and you're dead right. Like, I mean, we've all come through a tough time with, um, obviously, the global pandemic that's gone on. So I think that's, you know, maybe something that we can use as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to say, right, because everybody's had such a tough year, let's open the, the doors a little bit further. Uh, to be able to express how we actually feel and how we're how we're thinking at the moment, like the 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 saying "it's okay not to be okay," I think is a really good one. It's okay not to feel good at times because you know what, nobody feels good all the time. I don't care who you're following on Instagram or who you're looking at on the television; their life is not perfect. Even though it might look perfect at that moment in time when you see it, the reality of it is they've got the same pressures, the same problems going on in their lives. So we all have these problems and pressures, and it's just sometimes the problems and pressures can build up a little bit too much and can maybe get on top of us. And I think talking about them or talking about, sometimes it's not even about that subject exactly, sometimes just talking in general about a certain uh, aspect of your life with somebody that may have something similar going on really can help, you know, and it's, it sounds a bit mad, but even me and you getting to have our conversations about construction has really helped me. I'm like, I'm, you know, there's ideas popping in on my head every, you know, since that we've started to, to, to do the podcast together. So, you know, it just shows you that talking about a subject can help you look at stuff from a different perspective. It can help you control your emotions when it comes to stuff as well, because the reality of it is your health is your wealth and making sure that, you know, you're keeping yourself in the right uh, frame of mind will help you, but also would help everybody around you and it'll help you know your life in general so there's lots of different ways of doing that and again look i am no expert i have not <laughs> studied this subject i can only tell you what what works for me and from what i can see on site and, and, and what seems to work with other guys and i think the main thing you've got to have is an outlet and i think an outlet what you just said there there's no need for the machoism anymore. If you're not feeling well, just say it. And if you're not, you know, happy with a situation as well, sometimes people, you know, aren't happy going to work or aren't happy doing a certain element of the work. I think in that situation, say it, talk about it. If you're not happy with the price that you're on, talk about it. Stuff like that helps. You might not always get the result that you want, but at least you've spoken about it. At least you've actually broached the subject and maybe you can get to the root of what might be, you know, something that's happening. And the worst thing that anybody can do is let something build up. Every time that I meet someone in a, you know, it may be a negotiation or it may be something that's happening. If the subject has been let build up and build up and build up, by the time you get to meet the person and talk about it, sometimes they're angry before the conversation's even started. Mm, and you're yeah. going like, you tell me what where you're coming from and I'll tell you where I'm coming from and let's have a proper conversation about it. And I think that can happen in everyday life as well. Sometimes people just let stuff build up and build up and then it becomes a bigger problem than it actually is. It's that old thing of a problem shared is a problem halved, isn't it? I mean, it's an old cliche phrase, but it really does make sense. You know, once you talk to somebody, even if the person, and th- and this is the thing, this is something I've learned. I don't know if you've learned this one, Pete, in, in relationships, but the mistake that guys make uh, is that when their their partner tells them stuff, they think they have to solve the problem, but actually... <laughs> All they really need to do is listen and acknowledge and, and, you know, and take that on board. It's just, and, and, and that's an important thing. Don't always try and find a solution. But also, you know, when you're talking about uh, people say, you know, oh God, you know, this is really difficult coming onto, onto the site. 
with all the restrictions that we're having to to put in place and the social distancing and stuff, all of that, that's really getting to me. The likelihood is that anyone you say that to on site is going to say, you know what, I feel exactly the same. And immediately you're lifted slightly just because, hang on, this isn't just me. You know, somebody else is suffering the same things and thinking the same things. Suddenly it's that shared experience which immediately makes it just slightly less of a problem. I totally agree. And uh, well done. You're, you're after mastering uh, every man's problem there. All we've got to do is listen. All we've got <laughs> to do is listen. <laughs> well, I tell you what, when you, when you realise that, you know, in terms of a relationship anyway, it makes things a lot easier. Because, you know, that, that whole thing of uh, how am I going to solve this? You don't do that. You're just saying, OK, I'm just listening. Then we can we can move on and watch telly. So, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. And, and let's put the match on as well. By the way, but no, look, I, I I totally agree with what you're saying there. And look, I've been absolutely guilty of that. Where I, I'm quite a strong-minded person, and I would think about certain um, aspects of of my life, or or, or or if let's say there's something happening, I will think about it, and I will kind of make up my mind what direction I want it to go, and then I will do what I can to make sure that you know the subject goes in that direction or or, or, or whatever it is. But I do think that as you get a bit older and you get a bit more experience, you have to see that you know you can't always be bullheaded and you can't always you know dominate a situation. Um, and again, you know what? If you're if you're on the other side of it and you're constantly being dominated as well, you have to be able to stand up and go. Listen, hold on for a second. Let's talk about this um, and let me tell you how I'm feeling about this. And look again back to our on-site stuff. Like I mean, there's boundaries and borders being broken and, and crossed all the time when it comes to this type of stuff. Like the health and safety uh, that we have on on construction sites now is fantastic. It really is. It's been a very good advancement in in uh, all aspects of construction. In terms of health and safety, tools are safer, uh, scaffolds and, and, and all those type of things got so much safer. And then just general principles in, in, in construction have got so much safer because they're being taught true and there's processes put in place. And I think if we can t- kind of take those experiences and bring them into the mental health situation, I think it'll work really, really well to make life on site just that little bit easier. And you know what? Like if you enjoy what you do, You'll, you'll never work for a day in your life. And that's the reality of it. Whereas if it's a chore and if you feel as though something's not enjoyable, it's it's a much harder task. And you you won't actually, I, I often see it, if a guy isn't happy, and I kind of have principles when I've got guys working for me, if he's not happy doing the job, I have to discuss it with him because I know if he's not happy doing it, he's not going to deliver it to the level that I want it to be done. I need to make sure that someone is in the right frame of mind to do something. And sometimes that can be an external problem. It might not be the fact that mm. it's actually the job on site. It could be an external problem that is causing this. And again, this is why we're, we're, we're having this conversation. Let's talk about that and let's see what maybe your employer can do or maybe just your mate on site or your foreman or your friend or whoever it is that you connect with on site. Let's have, have a have a, a way of, of kind of being able to talk stuff through and get some stuff off your chest. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that, that whole thing of, you know, d- d- don't bring your, your, you know, home problems to work with you. I mean, that's, you know, that's just the sort of BS, frankly, that, that's been said over the years, but it's it's always been impossible to do, really. I mean, I've had times where, you know, a relationship thing has been a, a big issue and it is difficult to leave that at home. I mean, yeah, to some extent, going to work can be an escape from problems at home, but but not always. And I've also had that situation where it works the other way, where, you know, I've been doing a job which I haven't enjoyed, and then it affects everything. And it's it, you can't detach the two, you know, and it's not unprofessional 
to not be able to, to to break free from big problems that are going on. And sometimes it is just that release. I think I, you mentioned that word earlier, you know, just being able to say, this is what's going on in my life. I'm not expecting any special conditions to be put in, in place for me here. But just so you know, I just I just don't want it bottled up in my head as I'm trying to do my work. Yeah, 100%. And um, you've hit the nail on the head there. It does work both ways. Sometimes people take their problems from home to work. And then, you know, probably in construction, it's the opposite way around where people take their site problems or, or their financial problems from their job back home again. And that shouldn't be the case. And I have tried in my life to prevent that from happening. And it has happened from time to time. But I try my best not to let it happen. But it is difficult. It is very difficult to 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 prevent the two from crossing over. But I think, I think you're dead right there as well, Steve. Having an outlet, um, whether it's verbalising something with somebody or I also think as well, having uh, a separation from what you do. If, you, if, you're, if you're just constantly thinking on the job, of the job, and then you go home and you're constantly thinking of work again, and then before you go to bed, you're sending emails, and then you, you get up the next morning, you're going at it again. You have to have a release. You have to have a hobby. You have to have something, an outlet, whether it's going down to the local gym and doing some kickboxing or whatever it is, or, or you know, go for a walk anything active and there's no doubt about it the more active you are and the, and the more your body is stimulated um, and the healthier you are the, he- the the better it is for your for your head um, and for how you feel there's just there's nothing better than having the endorphins of you know having achieved something it doesn't have to be a massive achievement even a nice walk you come home from it and you're going god everyone goes oh it's great to get the fresh air do you know what the air is probably the same it's just the fact that you've got out and seen a different environment and you've been in in, in a kind of a less pressurized situation and you got that moment to maybe stop thinking and switch off from your your everyday stuff so i would highly recommend that and i I like to hear again when i've got guys working for me i love to hear a guy going and by the way now i do play football on a certain days because then i know they've got a focus and they've got a release and it's a good thing to have you know the old yin and yang kind of a situation you know you can't always be going in one direction and you have to have the release to get the balance right and i think that's actually the key to it balance is 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 what you want because we're not here to try and say to everybody oh listen come in and tell us all your problems and you know what we don't, we don't want you to, to have any hardship and, you know, that type of stuff. That's not the reality of life. The reality of life is you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. And it's about trying to balance them out and about trying to get it in the middle just to have the opportunity to enjoy life. Because, you know what, we only get one life, so we might as well enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely with you on that, Pete. And I mean, back back in way back in episode one, we we talked about um, the trials and tribulations of doing the TV work that you do uh, with the COVID restrictions. But we didn't really touch on how you're seeing things from an actual jobbing builder side of things. Obviously, there are a lot of restrictions. Health and safety is is paramount. But how has that been? How is it affecting people that you work with? How are you seeing them uh, adapt to all the restrictions? On site, people um, have adapted really well. And and I'm not just saying that, and I'm not just talking about my own company. I'm talking about construction in general. We touched on this before. Like the construction industry honestly deserves uh, a lot of credit and a clap on the back for how we've adapted to the whole COVID and pandemic situations. We've put in procedures. We've adhered to them. We've kept our jobs safe. But what I would say is that the release that we were just talking about, I don't, peop- don't think people are getting that release just yet. I think people are a bit fatigued with the whole lockdown situations or the restrictions. And I think it's 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 great to hear that, you know, the vaccine is being spread the way that it is at the moment. And we're, we're beginning to, to kind of 
get that light at the end of the tunnel. And I think the closer that we get to that light at the end of the tunnel, the more uh, that restrictions will ease up. I think then we'll start seeing a little bit more of, of, of a release in people's tensions on site. I haven't had any uh, tensions boil over. I haven't had any of that type of stuff any more than you would see normally on a, on a day-to-day stuff. But I can see people are a bit tired because they're not getting to travel. They're not getting to go on holidays. They're not getting to see their parents. And then, you know, you got the whole problems of, you know, a friend of mine's mother passed away only last week. And like, I mean, the, the funeral was like I, I just had to stand at the side of the road when they were going by and I, I, I looked at him and I spoke to him since and it was tough like he didn't get to go and visit his mom in hospital and all those type of things so it's not just the numbers that you see uh, or hear on, on the news about you know the deaths that COVID has affected it's literally the general uh, life because like if you're someone who is out working and is outside on a, on a day-to-day basis in contact with other people then older people in particular are kind of a little bit cautious of meeting with you and that type of stuff so you have to give them a bit of space so there's been a quite of a period of time where people haven't been able to connect as closely with their own family members and their friends as they would have been but you know guys there is light at the end of the tunnel and we are going to get over this and we are moving into a much better place so I think you know we all have to be cognizant of that and we all have to make sure that we realise that you know what there are tough times in life but the good thing about going through a tough challenge or going through a tough time is that you learn from it and you're stronger from it and I'm a firm believer in that you need to have suffered a little bit to really appreciate something good because I think if life is too easy and if, if people are flying around the place all, you know life gets very fast and people take stuff for granted and I think you know, maybe there has been a little bit of a reality check in in a lot of situations. Like people are so much closer to home. I've spent a lot more time with my own kids through this pandemic. And you know what? I've actually really enjoyed that moment. But you know what? I do want to get out and I do want to get going and I want to start going on my holidays and I want to start meeting my friends again, you know, onwards and upwards. Yeah. And, and the big takeaway that, that we would both want people to take away from this is if you've got problems, if you've got concerns, talk about it. You know, don't leave it bottled up. Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people. Last time on the show, Pete shared his experience as both an apprentice and as a boss who hires apprentices. Henry MacDonald has been finding out more about apprenticeships from Josh Mathias, the MD of Hythe Group, a global company based on the south coast of England. The business has several components, including engineering, fabrication, design and repair services for the marine industry, and as Josh explains, building services. About seven, eight years ago, two of my team from the marine services division approached me with the idea of setting up another business that focused on the construction industry. There was a lot of synergy between what Marine were doing and what the construction industry needed. And they felt that their experience within the construction industry, we could set up another business that focused solely on that sector. I felt that they had a brilliant work ethic and I loved the idea and the passion that they came to me and discussed it instead of trying to do something on their own. With that, we went ahead and we we named it High Building Services to make a clear distinction between marine and building or construction. That's where the journey began. We started off very much with the labour supply. We were building tight teams of people to support requirements of contractors, main contractors, subcontractors within sites on these larger packages of work. And with that, we started building a reputation of offering these tight teams that were very capable of doing uh, what was required of them. We did this for about three, four years solely as labour supply, doing a, a small amount of prefabrication within our site, but not a huge amount. With that reputation, we then started looking to recruit 
more support into the business to help us take on more turnkey packages or packages of work that offered everything from design to install. And through the next two years, we built another team to help build this side of the business. And we are now offering large services to, uh, well, M&E services to our main contractors. Explain the pathway from the start to you being boss in the boardroom, so to speak. I think my time as a labourer or right at the early days of my career was essential for my current position, for my learning experience. Definitely a self-made road of education. I started off with a brush uh, on a shop floor, really just kind of learning how the workshop worked, how the people in the industry worked. I came from a very different background and had no experience whatsoever in the area I was in. I enjoyed every minute of it. I went from being, like I said, sweeping floors to driving, doing deliveries, to using a hand grinder, to then supporting roles within uh, supporting trades. So the journey from becoming what I would call a very much an uh, entry-level labourer through to what is a supporting role for a tradesman was hard work. It's a lot of learning and, I, and it was I had to learn to communicate and build relationships and become one of the team. I learned very quickly once I started supporting the tradesmen that if you weren't adding value, uh, you weren't going to be very successful. So I learned the, the, what they wanted, when they wanted it, how they wanted it. If they were welding, I knew to bring the rods at the right time. I used to be there, get everything prepped. And that to me was the beginning of my career. So I spent my, like I said, about six, seven years doing this. And then I took a year out, came back in to the commercial side of the business. And that's where this second learning curve came in. And it was a very tough transfer of skills because I'd spent all that time learning to be one of the team and then going into the other side of the business where I was having to learn to uh, manage the people instead of being managed myself. It was a tough transition. I was young. I was dealing with people who were my friends, who um, we had a very strong relationship with, but I had to suddenly change it. Um, I had to solve problems on the spot. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but ultimately, that foundation that I built whilst being on the shop floor enabled me to communicate very well with my team. In relation to that pathway, you have a passion for investing in talent and nurturing new talent in the business. How do you see that chiming with the government's current aim to encourage more young people into industry-led apprenticeships? The, the synergy between what we're wanting to do as a business and what the government are trying to do in the industry is Brilliant. I, I couldn't have asked for better timing. Uh, my experience wasn't a classic education. It was self-taught. Uh, the apprenticeship schemes are a lot more structured, uh, and I think they are the best way for the future of the industry to fill in the gaps of skill sets and work ethic. The larger companies that run the apprenticeship schemes as a business are invaluable to companies like myself, my own, to Fill in the gaps of training and education. We work with, like I mentioned, BAE, PETA, Highbury College. Whenever they come down and support the first year apprentices that we have, it's lovely to watch because they are very passionate about what they're doing day to day. I think that's all resonating from the support of the government and the, uh, and the direction they're wanting it to go and to fill in the gaps and their understanding that there's major gaps in skill sets uh, in the engineering construction industry.
And overall, I think the apprentices now, today, if we can attract the right amount of people and the companies can support the skill set. So it's very important that companies take on the right amount of apprentices because if you take on too many, you might not be able to give them the attention that they need and therefore they may fall into gaps or be forgotten or just not learn as much as they could. With regard to apprenticeships, do you have any advice on ways of bringing in more talent and filling those labour gaps that exist in the industry? So we work with uh, local schools uh, to, we offer work experience for uh, people that are coming to the point where they don't, um, they're not going to carry on at school. I find it very useful for us as a business to learn um, about the type of people that are coming out of school today, but also it helps us educate the children on what is expected of this industry and what kind of things to expect when you're working in it. Uh, it's, it is very nerve wracking bringing in a, um, a young person like that. But once you get the processes and everything in place, I think it allows you to teach them about us. And then they go back to the school and talk about the things that they've done. So if they've been able to make something, use a tool, or you can see the excitement. That's a really beneficial way of starting the process. With the parents in our community, they're very supportive of us as a business. We have a lot of recommendations from parents to other parents to help support their child. We bring them in, again, work experience, a couple of weeks, get them to understand it, see if they're really interested in it. Because what you don't want to do is force a child to feel like they have to do it because they've committed time to you. So we're very open with them. We very much leave them to make the final decision. But once they make the decision, then we can go through the proper interview process and make sure that we feel they're ready for it or they got the right attributes. That's a very successful process for us. We promote a lot of apprenticeship success stories within our business. So we will interview our apprentices from start to finish, uh, people that have completed, that they've stayed on with the business. We've talked about how apprentices have gone from working for Marine and now working for the building services side of things so that it attracts skills where they know that there's more options and they're not just going to be stuck working one area of an industry. They can cross their services into multiple industries. Another thing I've offered which seems to attract or support the apprentices is we all know that when a child is learning to drive, it's very expensive uh, for them and the tests are expensive and of course once you pass the insurance is very expensive so we as a business we need them to pass their driving test to make them more versatile more accessible more um, flexible in where they can go and work so we offer to pay for their driving lessons their driving tests uh, once they pass we then offer a pay increase to help contribute towards their insurance this is something that it may seem small to everyone listening but is a massive support for the person. Back to your current business, how have you grown that enterprise in terms of turnover, employees, and regional and national reach? I feel like this might be a standard response, but I really do believe the right people in the right roles has helped us grow as a business. <laughs> because I've made a lot of mistakes through my life of employing people. And once I got the confidence in myself and what I wanted the business and the direction to go, Knowing that then helped me define the roles and therefore recruit the right people. This is massive for the growth of the business because it just allowed me to trust the team, support the team and take a step back from managing 
the business internally and focus on managing the business externally, so working on the business. One of my main purposes for the business is to build environments for uh, my workforce to grow or the people to grow or building businesses for people to grow. And so by having that purpose, it's allowed me to make decisions that align with the day-to-day operations of the business. And if people understand that that's my purpose or that's what my passion is, then they know that most of my decisions I'll be making will be to support that in the biggest picture. People understand that my importance is to educate, to nurture talent, to bring in apprentices, to do everything to support an individual and make them a better version of themselves or make them more capable at the job role that they're wanting to do. This has allowed, again, us to grow controllably because I'm not throwing loads of people into the mix. I'm not trying to bring lots and lots of people in to do lots of individual roles. I'm trying to nurture that person or that individual or that team to take on more but not try and overstretch or overstretch their capabilities. Um, that then leads on to autonomy because I'm trusting them. I'm not micromanaging. My team aren't micromanaging. My, my leaders, my senior leaders, my management team, we, we are building a structure and systems and processes that allow the people that you've spent a lot of time and effort employing to bring their creativity and their ideas to the table. The other thing the business has done is created a support structure, a group support to create efficiencies between the growing companies. So a company can be saturated with overheads if they're a startup because they need all this support. Um, We're not too sure if it's going to be a success or it is going to be a success and you need to grow quickly. By having my support structure, it allows efficiencies because it's a shared service between all the businesses. That's allowed the cash flow within the business to stay strong because I'm not saturating all these companies with ridiculous overheads that they don't need. It's allowed them to focus on, again, what they've been brought in to do. Construction is regarded as one of the weather veins of the economy. So how do you see your own business and the wider industry now as we emerge blinking out of lockdown? There's been quite a lot of concern around COVID and the negativity it's caused to industries. But my personal view is that the construction industry has done very well during this period. Obviously, there's been constraints and changes to processes and safety. But overall, I think the future for the construction industry is massive. And you can read in all the papers that there's shortages of support with building and that industry in general. So from the construction industry point of view, I think the future is great. The business as a whole has thrived throughout this entire process. Again, there's been major restrictions in our day-to-day operations. We've had to change the way we manage the teams and the business. Uh, But the fact that they have been able to come out of this lockdown or are coming out of this lockdown stronger with a solid pipeline of work, um, it's reinforced the team's confidence in each other um, and the strategy and structure of the business. Beyond the pandemic and its aftermath, what are the biggest 21st century challenges in particular to marine engineering and construction? Technology is an area that could be worked on within the industry. Um, the technology will allow the industry to become more green um, the industry in some areas does have this reputation of not being eco-friendly, but I know that the industry is working on it, and I do believe that technology is going to support this change. Uh, as an example, we are working with a company or trying to work with a company that is uh, building boats, tender boats, in and around Europe and UK, where they're taking on that Tesla model of battery power with their own charging stations. 
Um, and the manufacturers of the boats themselves are insisting that uh, recycled aluminium is being used. So they're trying to make the whole manufacturing process that much greener by using only recycled materials. And they're making them to a high spec. So they're ticking all the boxes of the industry, but they're using modern technology to make everything much more green. Um, another area in the marine industry is that uh, there's a reputation of it being very male dominated. This is an area that needs to be changed. I do, I'm working with companies and I do hear a lot about it and there is a focus on changing this. Uh, we as a business have employed a lot of women into the business in the last um, last couple of years. I think we've taken on about 10 out of probably about 15 people that we've employed. So it's a, a good percentage. And also we managed last year, which I'm very happy about, uh, to take on our first female apprentice. She's been with us for just over a year and a half now, and she's doing an electrical apprenticeship course with us. But that's an area that we could focus more energy on, and it is a challenge. There's been a huge shakeup in defence policy with lower dwindling troop numbers, but more emphasis being put on air and sea power projection. Will this shift in policy create further opportunities for you, especially in relation to marine construction and engineering? Yes, 100%. The demand or the change in direction will focus the capabilities on new build or uh, reactivating certain projects that have been around for a while. So although marine focus predominantly on repair works, that side of the business won't see a huge amount of change for a few years because it takes a long time for the decision to then producing a product to then maintaining upkeep and repair. But what will happen is there is a synergy between repair and new build and there is a shortage in the engineering or marine industry for these capabilities. So there will have to be some communication between the two um, and they will have to share their skill sets. They both cross over each other there. They are slightly different, but ultimately they are both more than capable of doing so. So for Marine as a strategy, we will definitely be focusing a lot more of our energy on new build, working with um, larger entities to support them. Uh, we are already seeing some changes in that, and I think it's positive. Tell us about the current major projects you're working on. Uh, we're working on a very nice project up in Hyde and Dibden. Uh, this is um, a hospital we're working on. Uh, we're demolishing a section of the site, building an external energy centre, which can pick up the below ground services for the new hospital. Speaking with my team, they believe their support was instrumental with helping the main contractors uh, with this value engineering, uh, design and development within the ventilation, distribution, domestic services. Their knowledge has added value, saved money and offered a better service. Overall, uh, we're looking forward to finishing that project, and we've now just signed a deal to start working on a 68-bed care home in uh, West Parley in Christchurch. A similar type of setup where we will be doing the full mechanical design uh, and build of the project. With COVID, the design side of it and the air filtration side of it is a great sign of this system or the new systems that are going in is a main focus around changing the air out every 90 minutes or so and putting in these systems that make it more safe for the people living in these homes. And that was a main focus whilst running this project or quoting for this project. Josh Mathias from the Hythe Group talking to Henry MacDonald.
And that's about it for this episode of Constructive Voices. My thanks to all of our guests. If you have comments to make on anything you've heard or want to hear on the podcast, then get in touch through our website, constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash, constructive-voices.com, or find us on social media. Follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app to make sure you don't miss a thing. And remember, we'd really appreciate reviews and ratings too. New episodes are out twice a month, with the next one on the 25th of May. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Constructive Voices, brought to you by Lewis Access. British-made scaffold towers and access products.